Hello, everybody. Welcome to Calling All Useful Idiots. Calling All Useful Idiots. This is a special um, Aaron Mate birthday. In case you missed us on YouTube, we did make the very important announcement that it is indeed Aaron Mate's birthday. Um, and look, we already have some callers in the chat. Make sure you subscribe to us uh, on YouTube, youtube.com slash Useful Idiots. Uh, you can also watch us on Rumble. Make sure you also subscribe to Substack. So that's usefulidiots.substack.com or uh, at Locals. Usefulidiots.locals.com. You get great extended uh, interviews and exclusive content. And our Thursday Throwdown, which is where we go over more media, we'll be focusing on the Twitter files this week. So it's a great time. And rate and review us um, wherever you listen to your podcast. And we're going to take our first caller, Brent. Hi, Brent. Eric, happy birthday. Can you hear me? Yes. So I was watching the Twitter files. I know you, you said you were going to discuss that later this week, but um, I don't know if Max Hahibi is a former uh, Useful Ideas co-host or he's currently one, but um, he was asked a question by one of the Congress people, whatever you want to call them, is Russia, Russia bad? Is Russia bad? And I thought to myself, wow, they're trying to trap him because I know Matt discusses, quote unquote, the anti-Ukrainian whatever side, the, the, the provocation of the United States a lot. And I feel like they were trying to trap him. They were very mean and aggressive, hostile. I didn't like, they were just very mean people. I don't know. They're, they're very unhappy people. But anyway, they asked him if Russia was bad. And I was. Quite, I don't think I, they asked him if Russia was bad. I think didn't they ask him about Russia, Russian interference in the elections? They they asked him if Russia. I was watching the show through Sabi's podcast. I don't. I may have to rewatch it. But they asked him something about is Russia is Russia bad? And he answered that he said basically yes. And I was really surprised because I thought he was going to ask for like clarification, but he he said that yes, Russia or is or was bad and i thought to myself wow um that's really he's really confident in his answer and my question to you is how would he have answered that question so uh brent i feel like you come on almost like every week no i don't mean this disrespectfully but no no, no i i know i know i ask about russia every week but, uh, but this it's also came, our opinion on russia he didn't he didn't that. he wasn't asked is russia bad he was asked yeah um do you accept that Russia has been accused of interfering in our election? And don't you think it's a legitimate goal of the FBI to try to respond to that? And, and what, what, uh, what, uh, like people like Daniel Goldman was trying to do was basically get Matt to sign on to the evidence free allegations that Russia waged a massive interference campaign. And on that basis, if you accept that evidence free claim, which every, you know, people like him do, then, by default, then you should support any action taken in the name of stopping that. And that was their line of attack against Matt Tavey. And Matt Tavey didn't fall for it. He said, you know, we should stop actual foreign interference in elections. And, you know, but he wasn't going to sign on to fact-free narratives. So that's what that whole exchange was about. Yeah. It wasn't about good or bad. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that's how you, and you probably would have answered that same way, right? I'm assuming. Yeah, I would have said, sure, if you want to stop actual foreign interference, go for it. But, um, you know, I'm not going to accept evidence-free claims. And, and, that's, and when, Matt tried to, when Matt tried to point out, for example, that this indictment of a Russian troll farm that 
Daniel Goldman, the congressman, really wanted him to just accept as like being gospel. Matt tried to point out that actually the Mueller team dropped that indictment. So even by your even by your insane standards that I have to accept every assertion made in a government indictment doesn't even hold up because the Mueller team even dropped it. And when Matt tried to point that out, Goldman interrupted him and said, this is my time. So that's it was an insane display. Yeah. Total grandstanding. Yeah. Oh, disgusting. Right. So you guys will discuss that more later on. Yeah, you got to join our uh, Thursday throwdown. You got to join our Substack or our locals, and you'll get the Thursday throwdown where we go over that. Okay, sure. All right, thank you. Thank you. All righty, um, Joshua. Morning, guys. Uh, can you hear me? All right. Yeah. All right. So I wanted to discuss Silicon Valley Bank a little bit in regards to how much exposure you think they may or may not have to any crypto and or other banks may have to crypto as well that they're not currently disclosing. Um, because I know that the sovereign wealth funds, et cetera, have been uh, dipping their toes in. I know other large banks have also been dipping their toes in and trying to provide support for Bitcoin and such, and uh, it hasn't been working. Uh, but uh, it keeps having a false floor. And uh, so, and if that is the case, you know, what does that, does that look like 2008 where we're like, oh, well now, we just got to bail them out because otherwise everybody's fucked. When really it's just their casino that's fucked if they've been, you know, again, playing with things that they shouldn't be, that they think they know because they're the smartest guys in the room. I love it when we get questions that's- that we have no idea about. So I just, I have no idea about crypto exposure here. Uh, I mean, what do you think? Well, I, if I knew the answer, I wouldn't be bringing up the question, right? I just have some suspicions based on who's doing the truth-telling right now and their past history of not telling the truth. Um, so, And I don't trust the people that uh, are looking at how to bail out their friends to really do the right thing for people at large. Um, I know it's an FDIC-insured bank. Uh, but that doesn't mean if it became a bank that everybody in the valley knew would not be looking closely at the stupid things they were deciding to do with money, that that should be a much bigger focus than making sure that other billionaires get their money out. Okay. Um, so, I mean, it's conjecture on my yeah. part. I mean, you guys are the journalists. Yes. Maybe go do some research. I'm not your, right? I'm not your guy on this issue. I just, it's not my lane. But you know who is, uh, if I may say so, um, I would go to um, David Sirota, Ken Klippenstein, and David Dayan. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's fine. The other thing I found funny from the Sunday that you guys were talking about is the use of the word surge in regards to immigration. That was also uh, used in Afghanistan, I believe. Uh, so I definitely don't think a troop surge at the border for civilian uh, border patrol or uh, the c- border patrol. That's not really the direction we want to go either. Um, and uh, then finally, it, the fact that Krebs has been co-opted for the military industrial complex. Most security companies are funded by Cointel Pro at some flavor or origin. So the fact that Krebs is going out there and pimping for dollars is not surprising either. Um, but I'll just wrap up with those three, three things. I got to get back to work. So you guys oh, have a okay. good day. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks for taking time away from your work. Oh, no worries. Have a good day, yeah. guys. Thanks, you too. Mm-hmm. All righty. Um, and you guys, make sure you tweet this out, okay, because we want to get the word out. 
and invite as many people as possible. Okay, Alex. Did I just skip someone? No, right? That was Joshua. Yeah, okay. Hi, Hi Alex. Hi. Uh, no, you're very soft. Quiet. I'm very soft. Okay, sorry. Okay, now you're now Better? I can hear you. Yeah. 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 Hi. Uh, I'm calling in from Helsinki, so this is my weekly Monday afternoon. Uh, oh, nice. Thanks. Morning for session. Yeah. Um, just wanted to thank you guys for the coverage. I think especially last spring or going into the summer with like NATO, NATO madness over here. Um, I think it's been nice to have like a level, kind of. Yeah. Not not like insane view on things. I think it's been very very helpful thanks thank you so much you have a question or are you just uh no 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 question this was just oh. uh, uh thank you and thank you and keep Perfect. it up yeah. thanks okay. a lot thanks from helsinki how's it over there by the way how are you experiencing this uh i mean i don't know again if this is a little bit of a callback since nato's on the kind of agenda right now we have parliamentary elections coming in a few weeks um, and like the discussion last spring, it, there was none. It was like, okay, public opinion just changed. And like, okay, now we're in NATO and you know, no questions. And if you, if you had a opposing view, then you were kind of lumped in this, oh, well, if you're against NATO, then you're an anti-vaxxer and like all, you know, like this, Phenomena where, like, if you if you believe one thing, then you're kind of lumped in together with a whole different bunch of views. Right. Got it. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for sharing the 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 view from from Helsinki. Yep. Thank you. Thanks, Alex. Okay. Uh, well. Hey, uh, I was I was wondering about the the Saudi Iran deal, right? Um. What do you think about that um, being like toward um, just on Middle East uh, peace, right? Because um, the way I've always perceived it, and I'm not a genius on this stuff, that like um, if you remember the deal in I believe 2020 or 2019 or something, like late 2019, early 2020, if I remember correctly, that Trump brokered um, the get, Abraham Accords. Uh, yes, yes, the, the to get recognition of Israel. And that was like considered like a Middle East peace thing, and right. um, I always thought that was kind of misleading personally because I thought like the the uh, the Israel Saudi war against Iran, the Cold War was a big um, you know a big deal, and like um, I was just wondering like how how um, you would see um, like Israel going towards Iran in the future, and if this means like a, the end to that Cold War. Um, or if is Israel is going to be alone in it and how, how things are going to proceed, and as well as um, how like this will also affect China on the world stage, because I've never seen China do anything like this before. But I don't have um, the the greatest knowledge on China personally. Well, it seems to me that the Saudi the Saudi Arabia is um, breaking away from the U.S. a little bit. Uh, they didn't go along with the U.S. when it came to setting the price of oil. Uh, when the U.S. really needed to keep it uh, at a certain level in order to weaken Russia and, and hurt Russia's uh, oil profits. And now they're making um, a deal with Iran. So I wouldn't put this in the same category as the as the Abraham Accords. I, I think this is something different. 
Uh, yeah, I was just saying, like, uh, like, what do you think it is like towards Middle East peace? Because th- that was like, like, what it's considered. Um, well, you, know, what, what you is have Middle two. Peace? You have two major antagonists restoring diplomatic relations and uh, talking to each other, and they're on opposing sides of many wars. They were on opposing sides of the war in Yemen, of the dirty war in Syria, and so if they're speaking, that's that's a good thing. Yeah. I, uh, were you just going to say something? No. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, sorry. I thought I could go off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, also, thanks for the call, Will. Appreciate it. Oh, do you have another question? Uh, Amanda, go ahead. Good morning. I just morning. called to say that I'm really glad you were born, however many years ago you were born. Oh, thank you. It was, it, was, it was 44 years ago. I'm 44 today. Looks well, so young. I'm super glad you were born, Aaron. Thank you for being part of the world that I'm in. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. Thanks, Amanda. Okay. Uh, Jonathan. Yeah, you mentioned the three countries on which we have the most onerous sanctions being the source of the most migrants. And uh, I understand how, you know, censoring people for talking about BDS is one thing. Like, everybody should be able to talk about whatever they want. But it sort of caused this reaction to say that, oh, BDS, therefore, must always be a good thing because people we like are being censored for talking about it. But isn't, aren't those three countries an example of how sanctions hurt the wrong people? Sanctions are designed to hurt civilians. Always. Right. Always. Uh, so from the point, so it's like, from the point of view of policymakers, they're hurting the right people because the aim is to crush civilians. Now, they, fought, they lie to the public and say uh, that we're only doing this to put pressure on the government that we don't like to, but it's, no, that's, it's always done to hurt people. Um, sanctions are pretty much, because look, people in charge no matter what, because they're in power, they're always going to be fine. <laughs> That's that just, you know, like you can take away maybe some of their assets individually uh, if they're tied up in U.S. banks or something. But otherwise, sanctions on sectors of a country are only going to hurt the people that live there. And, and that's the point. It's easy on South America, but then we talk about Israel. And then when they say, okay, if all you mean by BDS is don't sell guns to Israel, I'm like, okay, yeah, fine. That's, that's fine. But when you start sanctioning trade, with whatever Middle Eastern country to, to affect the behavior of the oligarch, you really just... I always think of that quote from the movie Dragonheart where Sean Connery plays the dragon, and he says, when you squeeze the nobility, it's the peasants that feel the pinch. And, right. like, I've never seen or heard of a sanction that did anything other than that. Right. Now, the, but the one thing you can say in the case of Israel, though, is that whereas if you ask the majority of, of people in Cuba or Venezuela, do you support sanctions on your country, the vast majority would say no. Uh, in Israel, though, it's you have a different situation where you, you have an occupying power that is occupying millions of people who don't get to vote for who their government is because they're Palestinian. And, you know, if you were to pull them, I think you'd have majority support for sanctions there. And so the Israel comparison to other countries is, uh, is different. It, it's not the same thing. Well, it's also, it's interesting because you can think of also... Um... Uh, with South Africa, right? That's another example. Yeah. 
um, where they want, I mean, where the people living there were calling for it for the most part. Okay. So I think that's one of the main differences. And it's true. What Aaron says is, is true. Of course, if you don't count Palestinians, then the Israelis don't want it. But once you take Palestinians into account, of course, they should be taken into account because they live there. It's a different story. But I think it's a good question that you ask. And uh, some, sometimes people can't really figure out why. Um, I just raised are- the question on like RBN and I almost got crucified for questioning the wisdom of sanctions because I was like, BDS doesn't work. It just hurts. It makes the price of butter more expensive for people who need butter. Well, but the other thing too, yeah. though, is but but BDS has multiple. There's also boycott and divest, which right. is not sanction. And um, you know, I I do think. Look, I mean, someone like Norman Finkelstein says that BDS has been uh, actually a gift to Israel because they think you know cause he thinks Israel it doesn't have an impact and Israel only exploits it to basically say that. Oh look, the world has the world has, has a double standard against us because we're because we're Jews, you know. Yeah. So, well, what so, what are they? Okay. So the that's, States, so that's like, but but the principle itself of boycotting and divesting and divesting and, and sanctions, like I'm not against that, especially if you have the majority of the population, the actual population, uh, the one that doesn't get a vote in Israel because they're because they're occupied and displaced, if they support it. I will say something that's not very popular, which is that I. Like, I don't think you have to support BDS to be, well, I don't know. Like, to me, everyone, no one, there are people who are, don't support BDS, but they think it's ridiculous to make it illegal. And I respect that position. That's, that's me. Exactly. Like, yeah, of course you shouldn't make it illegal. It's like, it's an insane thing to consider, but when considered, like what did Russia really, is it, did it, did it fail to find other customers for its oil? No, it's just like China and India are like, yeah, we'll buy it. Like, so, okay, you boycotted their oil. So what? Like, the ruble's up. They don't care. Well, I think that, though, with BDS, what it does is it gives, it puts things into, it puts Israel in the news. So I think it has that usefulness. Yeah, I'm not convinced I mean, of the, no, like, the long-term things- efficacy of that, though. I don't know. Okay, well, but I do think that there's. A, I think your question is a fair one, and I also think that there are differences between the case of Israel and South Africa and other cases. Okay, all right, fair enough. Thank you. Okay, thanks, Jonathan. Um, Rich. Hi, Rich. Hello. How's it going? Good. How are you? Good. Thanks. Um, I was calling about the banks, but I would like to weigh in on the BDS. Um, I was in college in the 1980s, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, we all participated in the uh, Coca-Cola boycott against South Africa, bought the Sun City album. It seemed right. uh, a lot of people were getting involved, and... I think that was a real example of where boycotts worked. And over the years, you just hear so many people, especially liberals, saying, ah, don't bother, boycotts don't work. And I've always questioned their motivation for saying that. Who actually, uh, who are you actually speaking for? Are you speaking for people or are you speaking for business? And maybe, maybe business has changed, uh, so much since the 1980s that a boycott would not be effective. 
maybe people's attention span uh, is short enough now that a long-term commitment not to buy and, and invest in a place um, makes that, the effort uh, ineffectual. But I don't know. It was it my imagination, or did that, or did that movement actually help South Africa? Did it help apartheid, or did it help defeat it? Do you think? To, to help end it. I think most people would say yes. All right. Uh, Which is why I think in the he, last question we we kind of pointed out pointed to the fact that case uh, of Israel and South Africa are different from other countries, mentioning other countries. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm 55 years old, and uh, it seems that. Uh, Things that were up are now down. Things that were left are now right. I think a lot of people feel the same way. And uh, it would just, I'd like to be, uh, find encouragement in things that individual people can come together and do to to uh, have some kind of effect on uh, the numbers of things that are just happening in this world where it almost makes you feel hopeless, but... Uh, your work, Katie, and, and Aaron's work really does give a lot of hope uh, that this information is getting out there and uh, criticized by people in my circle for worrying about things that I can't change, but I want to be the guy that keeps yelling uh, into the wind. Well, that's it. Great. Thank you. All righty. Sorry, I'm trying to get where where's my call in. Ah, Colin. Sorry, guys. Oh, here it is. Okay. Uh, Nestor. Hey, good morning. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. All right. Uh, I'm just going to chime in a little bit to that BDS because uh, the topic I brought up. Uh, you know, obviously, it's not even remotely the same. I don't know why people want to conflate uh, what the U.S. does to uh, Cuba and Nicaragua in Venezuela to what would be done to Israel. I mean, first of all, United States prevents other people from doing business with Cuba. Uh, right, they, secondary sanctions, right? Yes, yes, exactly. They they actually don't allow Cuba to, you know, trade freely, even with Europe. And that's why a lot of like countries, including Europe, have always voted to lift those sanctions, though that embargo. Uh, but the United States doesn't, you know, keeps refusing like the tyrant it is. And and for Israel, Israel, I mean, if, if Israel starts selling its wares, its technology to its neighbors like, you know, Lebanon, Iraq, Iran, Saudi Arabia, I mean, that might actually bring peace to the Middle East. So that, you know, that because I, I know the guy before mentioned that, oh, what if they start selling to their neighbors? Well, that would be great. That would mean that they would actually come to a, uh, peaceful, more more to the table, more peace would be achieved. You know, it would it would be like a double win. Not only would we have them uh, come come with a solution, a one state solution, where they stop treating the Palestinians like you know like uh, targets on a on a firing range, but they will also you know come at peace with their Arab neighbors and everybody. If if they could no longer rely on the United States providing them aid and buying all the technology that is produced there. So that's that's kind of like the point I want to put on there. 
for that. Uh, and um, what I, I really would just say that I think that people like I don't think it's wrong for people to ask that question. though. I think it's fine for people to ask the question. Then you can answer it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not saying it's wrong. But I'm, I'm just putting the counter. I'm trying to right. put that counter to. I mean, basically, he's saying the left is constantly pointing out that we make uh, civilians. Basically, he was saying that the left always points out that sanctions don't harm the people in power. They harm civilians. And so he's saying, why should we be doing that in Israel? But I think we answered the question. But anyway, keep going. Yeah, no, no. I just wanted to add to that point. And um, but what I wanted to talk more about was like the uh, the insanity that, you know, they're, they're, I, I guess they, they really, really are hell bent on suicide because uh, uh, another one thing that would top the suicide attempt they're trying to do with China is uh, in attacking Mexico. I mean, that would, <laughs> I, I, I don't know about you, but I know a lot, I work with a lot of Mexicans, and let me tell you, they, there is not one Mexican that does not know uh, their history with the United States and all the land. Uh, that has been taken from them, all the uh, uh, crimes that have been committed against them by the United States. I mean, uh, and on top of that, the cartels are a monster created by the United right. States. You know, they they have all the they have military grade guns, military uh, military grade C four. They they have everything you can imagine, uh, and all sold by United States. Uh, you know, people under the table uh, selling uh, arms to them uh, from companies from anywhere. Like you, you. I remember I had a third grade teacher whose husband was killed trying to wow. bust a, a gun deal in, in the border. You know, and he was not killed by the cartel. He was killed by the the Anglo that was selling those cartels, those uh, semi-automatics and and all kinds of weapons that are just military grade. And, and the point in that too is like. If the United States couldn't even beat the Taliban, the, the cartels are even more heavily armed right. compared to the Taliban. They're like a hundred times. There's a reason why the Mexican government has had so much trouble dealing with them. You know, cartels control whole uh, whole regions of Mexico. They they control whole municipalities. Uh, uh, they they where the military, the government can't even go in. Uh, so. So if they are actually serious about trying, I don't even know if AMLO will be that crazy enough to have the United States cooperate with them because it will be a total war. And on top of that, Mexico is our number one trading partner. Yeah. I mean, that, 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 they could they could just destroy roads. They could destroy the train tracks. They could, I mean, the, the cartels have so much, uh, such a huge network into the United States. Uh, United States citizens would be subjected to the same kind of bombings and mass killings that the Mexican citizens are subjected to right now. So, so that would just completely not only destabilize Mexico, but it would destabilize the United States. It would be just absolute mayhem, and that and that's why it's like, like uh, these people are really truly suicidal. Like it, it's like you you want to go try to fight the largest. Uh, country and most uh, second richest country, which is China, and now you want to go uh, start trouble with your number one trading partner. So, like at the end of the day, what, what the hell is gonna uh, what's gonna be left? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's insanity, man. It's like these people are really, really. Somebody needs to do like an intervention on them, right? Know? 
I agree. Good yeah, point. So, well said. So thank you for letting me vent that out. Uh, of course. Good point. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Thanks, Mister. Right. Okay, Brady. Hey, Brady. What up, humans? I'm glad we're all humans at the same time. Very cool thing. My worst media moment from today is actually from John Oliver this morning. I was watching and they, they showed a segment from Bill Clinton's like uh, campaign back in the day where he like shouts out Kevin Spacey and like Monica Lewinsky's like w waving to him in the background. And I'm just like, wow, didn't age well. So I feel like that was one of the, I hope this isn't too off topic. <laughs> no, it's good. I mean, we do our, um, this, maybe we can, yeah. I mean, we, we show, uh, sure. Sunday morning news shows, but it's always good to be, uh, kept abreast of, uh, other media clips. Right on. Yeah. So it was an old media clip of, you know, Bill Clinton shouting out Kevin Spacey yeah. and then Monica Lewinsky like waving to him. And I was just like, that did not age well. And I feel like I did not get nearly enough closure on that Kevin Spacey situation. Like everyone's mad at Alec Baldwin. And I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Kevin Spacey. What happened there? Well, he's guys? basically where, been like, I mean, he's been Spacey? deleted from movies and stuff. Like I think his career's over, but. Yeah. And then um, also Hillary Clinton was the person who coined the term fake news. And I think that was incredibly destructive. You know, the U.S. actually recently invested in a campaign to develop fake news in other countries and test it, roll it out where they're making fake videos using AI, you know, and stuff like that. So we can look forward to that kind of confusion in the future. And we can thank people like Hillary Clinton for it with terms like fake news in regards to the Pizzagate scenario. They were asking her about Pizzagate and she says, Oh, that's fake news. Well, no, but that was after Donald Trump had been using that term. She, no, that's... no, no. Hillary Clinton was the one who coined the term. Then Donald started using it afterwards. Well, um, they she didn't coin it term. with, did she coin it with Monica Lewinsky stuff? Cause she didn't coin it with, by the time Pizza no, was, was around, like that. it was something like on the view. Hillary Clinton had an interview, and someone asked her about Pizzagate, and she goes, "Oh, that's fake news." And then, like the next day, the next week, Donald Trump started saying fake news, and then uh, everyone on the right started saying it. They kind of made it their word, you know what I mean? And but nonetheless, it was very uh, uh, successfully implemented by both Hillary and Donald in the exact same way. I think to to muddle the news waters and just in time for things like Hunter Biden's laptop to come out, you know, and it's just a such our, our media is having so many strange moments. And I feel like we need, we need Fox Mulder, you know what I mean? Like, we need a Fox Mulder on this situation. I feel like uh, James Corbett's a really good example of that. The best one that I can, what would you guys consider? Who's y'all's Fox Mulder? Like if y'all need a Fox Mulder, who do y'all turn to? What does Fox Mulder mean? Guy from X Files back in the day, '90s show where he rogue uh, uh, FBI agent who just is able to investigate conspiracies and like get to the bottom of them and stuff. Of course. Oh, okay. Cy Hirsch for sure. For me. <laughs> Cy Hirsch. Oh yeah, fantastic yeah. job. Yeah. Bray, thanks a lot for the call, Jonathan. By the way, was, the term fake news was invented in the 1890s. I'll look into this more, but it wasn't Hillary Clinton. Um, and I'll look into the more recent iteration. But anyway, Jonathan. Uh, firstly, uh, happy birthday, Aaron. Um, 
And uh, I would like to thank you for both for your, your sacrifices today. I've never been more glad that I canceled my cable TV. And uh, you. you had some really, really choice clips today. Like, I, I love the obligatory, um, you know, uh, Lindsey Graham chicken hawkery uh, that seems to occur at least uh, a couple times a week. Uh, definitely always on the Sunday shows. And, uh, like if I had to watch the whole thing to get those clips, I probably would be in a straitjacket in a padded room. Mm, thank you. Uh, I was originally going to, to, uh, talk about the, uh, the hearings, but I, I think I'll, uh, I'll hold fire on that till you guys do your, your Thursday throwdown and maybe on the next call and I'll, uh, get to that. I, I would like to chime in about the, uh, the BDS, I'm, I'm kind of where you are on that. Uh, I think, uh, especially with the, the reforms where, uh, Netanyahu has basically, uh, caused Israel to, to join the global capital order in a big way. Uh, so their oligarchs are part of it. Like they're, they're kind of plugged in to global monopoly capital in such a way that a South Africa style, BDS would be, uh, you know, kind of worse than useless to the powerful people in that country. And um, also, it's got this kind of element of cultural boycott that at this point, I think, strikes a lot of people as like a little bit creepy. Like if you remember the way uh, when Russia first invaded Ukraine, uh, they started canceling appearances by uh, Russian artists. They started, uh, you know, uh, canceling performances of Tchaikovsky, who was, uh, you know, at least a hundred years removed from, uh, uh, you know, Putin's Russia and, uh, you know, things like that, that I think don't resonate as well as say, you know, a, a, a boycott of companies that do business with, uh, apartheid South Africa in the eighties, would have worked uh although uh also like the the kind of of uh like obviously where like the the notion that uh all these states are are persecuting um you know people for even advocating it is is also ludicrous which interestingly does have a tie-in with some of the the kind of uh repression of the of the left in this country historically that, uh, you know, Aaron Good uh, really sent me down a rabbit hole on that one, uh, but it was a good rabbit hole uh, that uh, when I asked him that question on your calling, uh, I must have gone through like six or seven books on the history of political repression in the U.S. And mm. uh, using states to, to pass those kind of repressive laws to silence dissent and to marginalize, particularly the left, uh, it, there's a long history of that in the United States. Uh, you know, going back to uh, the to the early 19th century, really. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like that's that's basically what I'd say on that. I'll like I'll hold fire on the the Twitter file stuff till uh, yeah. after you guys have a chance to go over it. But uh, yeah, thanks for all you guys do, and, and happy birthday again, Aaron. Thanks. Well, I I do think the difference is again, Palestinians have called for BDS, so it's it, it, it. I think that makes it different from other places. But yeah, it's, people can discuss its efficacy. That's debate. I think that's debatable. But um, sometimes you just want to do things in solidarity. Yeah. And you know what, Brady was right. It was Hillary Clinton who used it, I guess, before uh, Trump. So. 
my bad about that. Um, all right, thanks, Jonathan. Gator. Hey guys, uh, happy Hello. many happy returns. Thanks on behalf of Aaron, I'll say. Um, I just wanted to chuck a few extra bits of info in about SVP for people to, uh, to, to bear in mind if they don't know this already. Red, red flag one is that in 2017, Janet Yellen said that we were never going to have another financial crisis in our lifetimes. Red flag two is that about three days ago, or maybe the day before SVP went under, she literally said the banking sector is resilient. Uh, red flag three is that it isn't just one guy, Becker, who's sold um, ahead of the collapse. The CFO, Beck, has cleared 62%-ish of his, of his um, shares. And then one of the other execs, C-suite execs, has cleared about 32% of hers, uh, all, all basically within the same time window. Then the other red flags are that um, a... Peter Thiel-backed um, VC fund and JP Morgan were both recommending and calling for um, their connected clients to execute a run on SVB. And so there's a live theory running on this now that basically one of the arguments is that obviously there is going to be, you see in contagion now, and one of the one of the possible outcomes of this is that all of the small banks are going to get cleaned basically as a result of this, which leaves only large banks. And what that might be the cri the crisis management aspect of this may be that it ultimately is the accelerated paving of the way for CBDC arguments. So that is uh, one thing to watch out for as to what people do with their funds. You know, well. That's up to them, but I'm, I'm suspicious that this is this is essentially you cannot believe anything that the government tells you about what's going on here. Well, thanks. Thanks for those uh, tips. That was great. No worries. Bye, Gator. OK, BK. Hey, y'all, I'm a huge fan and a happy birthday, thanks. Aaron. Um, I've I've just been thinking about uh like I'm a I'm a huge fan of Marianne and stuff like I I thought that her like uh, announcement speech the other day was really impressive, but like the only reason that like uh, like uh, Katie I heard you mention the other day that uh, your grandparents uh, spoke Yiddish and my grandfather spoke Yiddish and um, he had to flee uh, like his home country because of World War II and. Um, all of his family was killed and like his response afterward was to become like basic, basically like atheist and anti-war. So we've never like, I didn't grow up like going to temple and or anything, but um, it still feels like, um, like Marianne, uh, her opinions on Israel, like the only <laughs> you just unmuted the flesh, just FYI. <laughs> oh no, no, no. I'm having my dog. I just walk my dog. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Um, but like, it, like if she uh, were a Gentile, then I would feel like like her opinions on Israel wouldn't like be notable to me because then it would just be like another Gentile being afraid of being called anti-Semitic. But like, no one can call her anti-Semitic because she's Jewish. So that's kind of why I'm like disappointed in her opinion. Um, and I wanted to hear like what you guys thought on that. 
say the last part again. You're saying no one can call her anti-Semitic because she's Jewish. Yeah. So like she. Well, but but she. Why are they? So people can call her a self-loathing Jew, which is what they do, like with me and Aaron. But what is the part of her position that you're saying people would call anti-Semitic? No, like if she had a different position on Israel, um, like if if uh, like if she basically like weren't for apartheid basically. like 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 the fact that she's basically for apartheid is but also that she's jewish is what makes it seem kind of like uh like like notable and upsetting does that make sense whereas if she if there was like a progressive challenger who was like really good on everything except israel then i'd be like all right well she's good on everything except israel and you know a pep it's called pep progressive except pep <laughs> Um, I'm, I might not be articulating it well. Never mind. I'll just hang No, but you're saying, I mean, I think it's, people are often like, she's a Zionist. And the truth is like, yes. And I think she'd be better than um, Biden still on this issue. But as I've said, I disagree with her on Ukraine. Uh, agree with her on a lot of uh, uh, domestic stuff. Yeah. Thanks a bunch. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, okay. Great. Let's see, hold on one second. Um, sorry, where are we now in the next caller? Okay, Sterling. Oh, I didn't flush Bodie down the toilet. Sorry, I was walking her. I <laughs> she had a little poop and I, uh, put it in the toilet. Yeah. Okay. Um, and yeah, and happy birthday to Aaron. I don't know where he is. If you could pass that along, that would be great. Um, but I'm definitely of the school listening to Nestor and just everything that's being said about sanctions and everything the United States has done for so long now to other countries that I really feel like it's going to come back to us in a financial sense. And um, I think with the rise of BRICS, um, and, you know, gold-backed currency, all of this um, is something to really, really, really be paying attention to. And also as far as um, just other nations, you know, uniting probably against U.S. empire is what I'm seeing when I, when I look at the Iran-China-Saudi um, <coughs> deal. Um, but I saw something really interesting because such the weirdest stuff comes through my YouTube feed. But it was um, Josh, Josh Hawley during a hearing for uh, the SBA person that Biden has chosen, the small business administrator. And it was Dilwar Syed. Um, he's Pakistani. And Josh Hawley was grilling the hell out of him and asked him repeatedly, do you think Israel is an apartheid state? Did you catch that last week? No. Yeah, I mean, and I was sitting here shocked and I'm like, wait a minute, this is one of the this is one of the prerequisites for any position here, because one, I don't like you at all anyway, Josh Holly, but for asking that question. And two, he said, no, I don't think it is. But I think he was so uncomfortable with it, but he beat him down so much that he finally said no. And I thought, you know, unfortunately, you can't really be trusted because everybody agrees that the, anybody who's really paying attention, human rights organizations, as you all well know, Katie, all agree. The, right. If it walks like a duck, looks like a duck, talks like a duck, whatever, it's a duck. And it is clearly an apartheid state. So, yeah, but it, I thought that was scary, that it was almost like McCarthy, right? Do you say you're this or that? I mean, it was really, really, really uncool. So, um, yeah, stuff we just need to be paying attention to. Um, and that's it. Love you guys. Thanks. Yeah, bye. Bye. Oops. Ah, sorry, I keep I'm having trouble. Okay, hold on. Okay, pseudo. Hello. Um, 
Hello. Nice to uh, speak with you. I called in last week. Um, um, I, I was wondering if you'd be um, willing to discuss uh, Tucker Carlson's recent um, airing of footage from January 6, 2021 at the U.S. Capitol. Um, I have a number of, uh, of preliminary thoughts that I'm happy to share, but I, I could also wait to hear what you guys think. Um, um, uh, um, Aaron, did you, th- um, I didn't watch it. So I, what are your thoughts? I didn't either. Yeah. So, so, um, the, the two major claims that stick out to me are, um, first of all, there's foot, he shows footage of the QAnon shaman being, um, led around the Capitol by, uh, Capitol police, apparently not yet under arrest. And it's very strange because they're like, they try to open doors for him at various points. Um, and um, uh, it's just very odd footage. Um, it occurs to me, you know, the, the footage might not be authentic. Um, there's definitely, as one call previously indicated, I mean, there's definitely the ability now to create deep fake video footage that's very convincing. Um, no one, to my knowledge, has accused Tucker Carlson of, of fabricating the you know, wholesale fabrication of a deep fake video in that respect. But uh, it's something I wouldn't, you know, be inclined to just rule out a hand uh, automatically. Um, I would. And uh, I, I would. I think to be a, to be like a, a major cable news show and put out a deep fake, I don't think it'd be worth taking that risk, even if you wanted to do that. Because, uh, yeah. But anyway. Um, no, I think that's probably right. I think that's probably right. Um, I'm inclined to, uh, but then it, it raises a big question and there's not been any real, you know, widespread focused discussion on it. What's going on there? I mean, um, instead, there's just been a lot of ad hominem attacks on on Carlson. Um, other video that he, he, he showed, I did not find um, convincing um, at the surface level in terms of uh, um, he shows uh, what he claims to be um, Brian Sitnik um, in apparently vigorous uh, health. Um, and Carlson claims it's after he, he had already been supposedly, you know, beaten uh, fatally by um, the mob. And um, I found the footage, I found it, un, un, I found myself unable to identify the figure um, as Sitnik. Um, it, it seems like a generic person and there's no clear... Um, identifying signs. Um, it could be him, but um, I just don't think that's really been uh, publicly as established to satisfaction yet. Um, so, yeah, that was, um, I don't know. I mean, like, um, I, I commented on this on Twitter last night and I lost a bunch of followers. It's uh, I'm skeptical of both uh, Carlson and his motives, but also the official narrative. Certainly the people on the January 6th committee made me um, not inclined to, you know, like or really trust their findings. Um, so, um, yeah, it's just, it seems like murky waters. I, I, I live close to the Capitol. I walk by it all the time. And um, it's one of the most, you know, it's one of the most fortified, well-defended places in the world. I just checked on Forbes this morning. Um, the Forbes had a report out that only about 10% of the Capitol Police um, workforce was actually on site at the at the event, um, which is very strange given, you know, that Trump's rhetoric was obviously known in advance and, and, and likewise that there was going to be a protest there. 
So you would have expected greater uh, forces, and that's just the forces under the command of um, the Speaker of the House, right? Um, additionally, you know, there are Marine barracks at, at um, a few blocks away. The FBI's headquarters is just a few blocks down Pennsylvania Avenue. So the very, the very light police presence, I mean, obviously those um, latter two forces are under executive branch command, but I think it's also questionable what, uh, you know, the extent to which Trump was really in, in charge of the executive branch during his presidency. Um, so I, I just, I'm not at all satisfied with, um, the public discourse on this topic. And um, I don't think Carlson is really going to uh, clear clear the air very much. Um, I think it's just going to, you know, polarization is just going to continue. Hmm. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, thank you, uh, Sudo. Thanks for that. And um, we actually are going to wrap. Sorry if we didn't get to you. Melody, Peter, Lucius, come on early next time and we'll make sure to get to you. And we will see you next week. Okay. Bye, everyone. Bye, Bye Aaron.